You're listening to the Fit Mind, Fit Body podcast, where we explore the connection between a fit body and positive mental health. And our big mission, it's to help 10,000 runners to develop fitter minds in the next two years. I'm your host, Michelle Frost. Let's get moving. Welcome to this episode of the Fit Mind Fit Body Podcast. Today, we talk to John Fawcett. Now, John is 75 and he has run most of his life. So as you can imagine, he has a lot to share about running. Enjoy. I am very excited, like every call that I do, to introduce you to John Fawcett today at Fit Mind Fit Body. So John, welcome along to the podcast. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine. Thanks very much for the invitation. It's very excited to, I am to have you aboard. Um, let's start with where did you grow up? Where do you, where do you come from? Like, I don't know a huge amount about you personally, so it's quite interesting this for me. Um, well, actually, I'm, I'm a Kiwi. Oh, you're actually, I can kind of pick that up now that you say that. Um, I accent. never really had a New Zealand accent, certainly not strong. My mother was born and brought up in Fiji and uh, had more of an English accent. Oh, wow. Um, so she always made us speak very proper English, Queen's English. So I never had a really strong accent. But um, yeah, I was born in a place called Matamata in uh, the Waikato area. And uh, a little bit to the side, um, are you a fan of the Lord of the Rings? I am, yes, totally. Well, you know the little town, a little place called Hobbiton? Yes. Well, that is Matamata. Wow. I was born there. So guess what that makes me? A hobbit. <laughs> makes me a hobbit. Admittedly, a tall hobbit, but yes, it makes me a hobbit. That's very cool. I don't even, is that in the South Island, I want to say? Or is it in... Is it in the South Island? I'm not, I don't know New Zealand very well. Uh, no, um, uh, Hamilton is about, I suppose, 100 odd kilometres south of Auckland. Okay. So it's up there. Yeah. So, yeah, I grew up around there, went to Auckland University and worked in Auckland. And uh, for some strange reason, decided to become a teacher. <laughs> um, taught for two years in Nelson, which is the top of the South Island. Yeah. What kind of teaching uh, flip, did you do? Flipped a coin. Do I go to Canada or do I go to Australia? It came down for Australia, so I ended up in Australia. There you are. What kind of teaching did you do? Um, I was a science teacher primarily to start with and then an outdoor education. And uh, I switched to maths because no one wanted to teach maths and I found it rather a challenge because I wasn't great at it. So, um, yeah, I've, done a, I've taught a, probably over the years a wide variety of things, including believe it or not, including computing. I was once upon a time considered a computing guru, but there's probably only about 10 of us wow. in the whole state at that stage. That's amazing. It's kind of like, um, you know, being at the top of the wave. My husband and I talk about it because we too have been, you know, we felt at times in our career at the top of the wave of technology, different elements of it. And then all of a sudden all these people come and, and it's like, well, what happened? <laughs> yeah, I, I got out when it became nerdy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to all the nerds became popular yeah <laughs> it's kind of funny thing all right so you're in New Zealand you trained as a teacher and you uh you that's a you high school teacher in very across various subjects yes. would that be right yeah yeah um basically grade nine to grade 12 okay did did you 
when you going back even a few more steps when you were a child how was what was sport like in your life then um I actually only spent uh, the first six weeks of my life in matter matter yeah um dad I guess you'd call it a um he, he got a farm on the west coast um just about the other side to matter matter a place called Tiakau, just north of the Raglan Harbour so it was a little country school. I was in correspondence for about the first year with mum because oh, uh, wow. the bus didn't come out our way. And uh, then it was just a little two-teacher country school. Um, sport didn't really exist as such. Mm. Um, it was a farm, uh, like most farmers and uh, that generation. Sport didn't fit in. They'd grown up through um, one or two world wars, a depression, um, and it was really just working to survive. Mm. Um, so I didn't actually see sport come into it until dad sold the farm. We moved into Hamilton when I was about 13. Okay. So, well, I guess then you had a very outdoorsy sort of life. Like it sounds like Definitely. a very outdoorsy yeah, we, sort of life. We ran everywhere. We biked everywhere. Um, so, yeah, we were fit because um, that's that was where we did things. Mm. So did um, what kind of farm was it? So were you helping out on the farm? A bit of a, mostly a sheep farm, but we also had dairy as well. Okay. So that's kind of one of those idyllic sort of lifestyles when we're sitting at it from, <laughs> I, I grew up on a farm as well. Uh, so when you're sitting from afar and you're looking back, you think, um, oh, that sounds just like an idyllic childhood, you know, running around in the paddocks and, and all of that. And plus it sounds like you were a bit coastal as well. Did you have much to um, do with the water? We, our house wasn't on the coast, but yes, we had a mile, 1.6 kilometres of, of West Coast. Um, on probably better. It was uh, fairly rugged getting out to it. So we, yeah. if we went out to the coast for fishing or something, we tend to go out one of our neighbours' places where you could virtually drive to the beach. Yeah, cool. That sounds but, wonderful. Uh, it was nothing really idyllic. It, it was fairly tough, probably on mum and dad uh, yeah. in particular, because then they never had two cents to rub together or two pennies to rub together. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was a pretty tough life, and that generation really poured everything they could into um, their children because they yeah. saw education as a out of the trap. They weren't poverty, but they're out yeah. of the trap that they were caught in, really. Just to make life easier for them, yeah, for their children. Mm. So then you moved into town. It sounded like you were, that's when you were going into high school? Yes, I went into town. Uh, I spent my first year on the farm. I went to a pretty tough boarding school in New Plymouth. Mm -hmm. um, it was a boarding school for farmers who couldn't afford to send their kids to a real school. Okay. Like a private one. So it was pretty rugged and tough. And I spent one year there and then um, I went to a high school uh, that would have been in grade, high school starts at grade nine in New Zealand. Oh, um, wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, grade seven and eight are still primary school or what we call intermediate. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And I, so I went to high school in grade 10 at uh, Hamilton Boys High School, which had a very strong sporting background and very strong academic background. So how did how did that suit you? Did you find that you took on some sports? Probably actually in the boarding school, they tend to do a bit of sporting sort of stuff. Or in, did that not? <laughs> in New Zealand, uh, if you were a boarder, there was only one game you could play and that was compulsory. Cricket? No. Rugby. Oh, rugby. <laughs> oh, good heavens. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, it was rugby. So even though there was day people who played hockey and soccer and that, if you were a boarder, you played rugby. Um, I can't catch, kick or hit a ball if you paid me. I'm totally unco. I was completely useless at rugby. In fact, I was always the reserve on the team 
And if someone was injured, the coach would think very seriously whether he should put me on to fill in the reserve or play with 14 players. Wow. More often than not, he played with 14, or if he put me on, the rules to the rest of the team was under no circumstances was the ball to come anywhere near me. <laughs> you just <laughs> that suited me. I didn't like rugby either. <laughs> so, okay, you, you went into the all-boys school. Um, what, what sport happened there? I assume it was a little bit more than... I Yeah, when I went to this there, I found I could run, and I didn't have yeah. to catch, kick, or hit a ball. And I not only found I could run, I could, I could run fairly well. Yeah. So um, it was a, a big change in New Zealand. The 1960 Olympics had just gone through in Rome. Mm -hmm. uh, New Zealand had collected a swag of gold medals. And I don't know if you've heard them, but we had Peter Snell and Murray Halberg, who world records and everything from 800 metres up to 5,000. Yeah. Um, so New Zealand was sort of the, the place. And, on a buzz. Uh, they were sort of our heroes and the coach, um, which would be interesting to talk about, uh, yeah, had a huge influence. So I actually, there was a small group of us who ran a lot together and mm -hmm. we were doing the sort of running that schoolboys didn't do and most coaches said we shouldn't do. Wow. Um, but we ignored them and did our own thing anyway. And uh, there were some very talented people in that group. Um, one of them was... Um, uh, went on to become the world 5,000 meter champion. So um, we always knew he was going to be good because he yeah. hardly did any training and still beat us. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so a very strong group. So running became a very big part of my life at Brand from about 13 and a half on. So that sounded like longer distances too, because even, you know, when you're in high school, you know, five, 10 kilometers seems like a really long way. <laughs> so Yes, you're, you're right. Um, I can't sprint for anything and mm -hmm. uh, it used to always annoy me that uh, if we were doing track events uh, like the, well, it would have been called a mile back then, say the 15, I would have to start putting the pace on with a hard with a lap to go to try and burn the others off. Mm -hmm. They all knew if they could sit on my heels for the last 100 metres, they had me. So <laughs> although we were a really strong group of runners, I was one of those people, whether it was cross-country, I was always in the top 10, seldom in the top three. Okay. Um, probably even better than this top 10, but very seldom in that one, two, three yeah. group. But we did have a very strong and uh, we ran because we loved it. Yeah. Um, and we ran distances that coaches said that schoolboys of our age should never, ever do because we were going to burn out, die mm -hmm. out and this sort of thing. And, um, you know, uh, five, I'll convert it to metres. A 5,000 metre run should be our absolute limit. Well, we'd go out on Sundays and do two, three times that. Um, we, were, we were running, on a quiet week, we were running 50, 50 kilometres a week, 80 kilometres a week. Wow. Because so, we just liked it. So did you have... And, um, um, except for that coach of Peter Snell's and that, um, yeah, we just, we just ran because we loved it. And did all coach, you, had the, you were saying that the coach um, that you had at the time, was he also against you running those longer distances? Or was he... um, no, the coach was not our coach. Um, the coach who was uh, coaching our Olympic people was a person called Arthur Lidyard. Mm -hmm. And he turned things down to what we call long, slow running, which is fairly interesting because everyone is doing that now. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and running at a very slow thing. And it just takes me back uh, to a run. So he had a big... Um, influence even though he was never our coach when he came and talked 
um, we were running long, slow distances because we liked it. Yeah. I remember we went to one of them and uh, a meeting with them and uh, a coaching session. And dad said, because most athletic coaches said, look, you, you boys, you're not going to last. You're going to mm. burn yourself out, just expression. And um, dad said, look, I've got a son. He's got his mates. And he said, they go out and do stupid distance. They'll go on a Sunday and run 20 kilometers, mm. except in miles, of course, not 20 miles, yeah. um, 20 kilometers. Um, and people saying they're going to damage themselves. And um, Arthur Ledger sort of said, how much pressure is there from the parents to run those distances? And dad said, there isn't any. We think they're mad. <laughs> and the coach sort of said, if they're teenagers, if they like running those distances, let them. He said, yeah. if they don't like running those distances, they will stop. Yeah. He said, but the yeah. danger comes when parents and coaches start putting pressure, pressure on you to do this, that, and the other mm. thing. So he said, let them go, do whatever they want to do. Mm. And uh, we were in Auckland for a competition one day on a Saturday, it would have been. And um, Arthur Ledyard was there with Snell and all the rest of them, which is, you know, to a 13, 14, I was probably about 14, 15 that stage. It was pretty inspiring. <laughs> and um, he, he said on Sunday, why don't you guys you know, to the little group from Hamilton, teenagers, why did you guys come running with us on Sunday up in the Waitakere Mount Hills, which are behind Auckland? And we said, oh, there's no way we can run with, you know, Olympic champions, you know, world record holders. And he said, no, no, no. He says, you missed the point. Mm. He said, we run because it's just a fun day. We fool around, we joke and all the rest of it. And he said, if you can't keep it up, we're running too fast. And that yeah. includes Snell and that. So this is, you can imagine a 14, 15 year old being invited to run out with world champions was just bloody amazing. Wow. Anyway, we ran with them. We had a ball. And, you know, despite the fact these guys were amazing, they just took us under their wing. And uh, yeah, we joked and talked and told silly stories. Well, they did mostly, yeah. of course. Um, so yeah, very inspiring. That's awesome. So do you think it's interesting that you say that you guys just did it out of the fun and that you enjoyed the company, you know, each other's company? Because we talk a lot about um, the fact that when you're running, and especially for blokes, um, the science has shown that that running next to each other and not looking directly at each other, the conversation flows more easily. And so do you think even as a, as a young teenager that was the case, like you were able to just chat while you were, you know, clocking up those kilometres with each other and, you know, whether it was being fun or just chatting about your, your daily lives and, do you feel like that had part pain? I suppose. I mean, I did most, let's be honest, I did most of my running as a solo runner during okay. the week. Mm -hmm. uh, we ran ran every night of the week. Um, yeah. So that's, you know, 80 kilometres isn't much when you're running, really, which is now to me, but uh, back then <laughs> it wasn't. Um, so it was really just a Sunday run. Saturday would be a competition. Yeah. Um, and, and then training uh, through the week. We kept, we ran for fun, but when it came to competition, Serious. Um, yeah, they weren't friends. Game face. <laughs> yeah, it was. And I can remember at high school, um, there had been a mile record, had been sitting for years, and uh, there's a group of us decided we we're going to tackle it on. Um, I, I didn't win the race. I came fifth, um, but I came so close to beating, beating the record. It just shows how strong we were. Wow. But I remember the principal there would go away and just really focus on what there and we wouldn't shake hands with anybody and he the principal said that's rude and our attitude was why shake the hands of someone and wish them the best luck when you don't want them to have the best luck? <laughs> shake hands so them afterwards we were, we were really really focused 
Wow. And I think if anyone had looked back, they would have seen five, six of us all in different spots on the ground, really just being locked into ourselves until someone called us to start right. Yeah. At the end, yeah, it was all over. So you congratulated each other and all the rest of it. You were mates again. But before the race, not really. Can you Do you remember feeling particularly anxious or nervous before the start of race with the competition when there's things like that on the line? I probably was at times. Um, but you know, I've sort of thought about this a bit in recent years. Um, I think because I was never in that top three, the expectations on me weren't mm-hmm. as high. I was a good enough runner to, as I said, get regularly in the top 10 or even the top five or six. So the pressure was off me to a large extent to do that. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, there must have been times when I thought, yeah, I'm really into it. But even even in recent years when I've run... Um, some fairly good times, which I presume you'll get on to, certainly in my four, early 40s, um, I didn't actually feel any real pressure on me to okay. um, do it. Um, I can tell you what happened later on when uh, I didn't do as well as I expected. <laughs> Did that make you feel a little uh, <laughs> unhappy when that happened? Um, I got, I've always run. Um, When I left school, went to university and I was working, I didn't have time to put a lot in. So the running was just for fitness. Yeah, Several nights a week, I might run, say, um, 10, 12K or something like that. So it was for Um, fitness. And did you at the time think of it as a stress relief as well? Or were you just thinking of it as fitness? Yeah. Yeah, it was a fitness thing. And you move on. When I went to university, I took up karate and Mm -hmm. um, that took a lot. And I was a bushwalker, by the way, or if you're a New Zealander, a tramper. And I'd yeah. been tramping since I was um, about 13, the same time as I was running. So um, I was still doing that. So I was fit and running was just added up to it. Yeah. Um, then when I came to Australia, I took up cross-country skiing. I lived in Victoria and mm-hmm. I was competitive there racing. Um, came to Tassie, raced a couple of years, um, uh, won the state cross-country championships a couple of years. Um, we have cross-country championships here. For skiing. We did have when we had something called snow. Snow. I'm looking, wow, did we do we have enough snow that you could do a competition? Yeah, <laughs> but no, snow, yeah, it disappeared along with a lot of other things. Wow. Um, so yeah, back in the late 30s, early 40s, I started putting up the kilometers again and um, had a bit of incentive from friends to do it. I'm a plotter. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why I did so well at Bishopsburn. And that, I think well, I've got a certain speed, and it didn't matter whether I ran five kilometers or fifteen kilometers. That's what you're doing. I that keep speed. the same plod speed up. Where is the good runners when they've got five kilometers? Because it's so short, they can pick up the speed. So <laughs> that's my theory why I came second that day. I think it's pretty like being a plodder because we 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 giggle about it, but we all have that. Like I definitely am a bit like that too. I think um, we last longer <laughs> doing though. It's a bit like the hair and the tortoise, the hair and the tortoise, whatever that, yeah, that saying is. I think, um, but when it comes down to injuries and things like that, we're not doing often as much damage as long as we're being careful because we're not, anyway, I don't really know. I'm just coming up with lots of theories about why it's better to be a plotter and that means you can be out there longer. <laughs> I mean, I, got, I became a reasonably plot reasonably fast well people tell me I was a reasonably fast plotter um 
I could do sub 40, um, 10 kilometers without thinking about it. Which wasn't a plotter. <laughs> um, I always wanted to people. break 35 minutes. I never got there. I got to 36 <laughs> something or other. But um, yeah, I had one experience with it. Uh, oh, it was after I ran my one and only marathon and oh. uh, I ran a 10, Bernie 10, and I didn't crack 40 minutes. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the world came to an end that day. I spat the dummy. What did you no do? What did running. that look like? I'm Don't over tell it. It's me. all gone. I can't even crack a 40 minutes. I did about 45 or something. Absolutely useless. How old were you then? I was about 43, 44. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but I was getting a few warning signs. A friend of mine had convinced me that we were going to do a marathon. Mm -hmm. So, and it was back then, that was over 30 years ago. So marathon running wasn't quite what it is now. No. I, I mean, people run marathons in their training nowadays. They do. Um, <laughs> and you, you know some of them. I do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, back then it wasn't. We ran pretty well Olympic distances, I suppose. So 5,000, 10,000. Anyway, yeah. we decided, um, Phil decided to convince me to do a marathon. So I put in the training, um, massive amount of tra training for about six or seven months on top of a good base. Yeah. I mean, I was way over 100 kilometres a week, probably towards the end, um, 120, 140 kilometres a week. So we, we had an aim to do something in running and yeah, I achieved that and lost any interest in running a marathon. <laughs> so the aim was to do a sub three, so which we did. So you, which marathon did you do? Uh, it was one held at Richmond. Um, oh, here, the one wouldn't have been I, the one that's I don't think it was a regu regular event. It was, um, no. I think it was the Australian Veterans Championship or something. And you were 45 um, at the time? Is that what you were saying? I was about... I think I was earlier than that, about 43, 44. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, so we had it. Phil and I had an objection to try and do a sub three hours, and we both got it. That's so awesome. That well was done. And then my body started telling me, giving me a few messages. It's like, oi, <laughs> what did you just Well, do? I went down with shingles shortly after that. Ah. Um, and then my hips and knees started mm. telling me, John, you've done, I'd hate to think how many kilometers of running I'd done over my life since I was 13. Wow. Um, and uh, yeah, so it, it changed the way I looked at running yeah. quite significantly. Well, that's interesting because yeah. they do say, at least when I did my batch of marathons, one of the sayings that was out there is you either ever run one marathon or more than two. Nobody ever runs two. You either run one <laughs> or you run a whole bunch. You know, it's this kind of funny thing. So you're a one marathon person. Yeah, I had no yeah. interest in doing it again. I'd done uh, 254 and you know, I knew the amount of effort I'd put into the six mm -hmm. months before that dominated my life. There's mm -hmm. no going out to social events and a lot of yeah. the fun things you do. You just, you just couldn't afford to do it. You just Not felt like your whole, your whole goal was just that marathon and, and it was. everything else was sacrificed until you got it, basically. Mm -hmm. So it took mean. a few years to get the competitive. I used to say I'm not competitive anymore. Most of my friends would crack up laughing. Um, so it still took a fair while running really dropped off big fairly big yep. time and uh yeah i'm not too sure when it happened but all of a sudden i ran just for the joy of running and where i came there's something clicked how fast it was just, to just a large extent as it was, became irrelevant and i so, think that's where i am now so i love just yeah hitting. i love uh park run because i act like yep. an idiot and encourage people and 
tease little kids who are complaining and that sort of thing, tell them they're not going to, you know, kind of let a 70-year-old man beat you over. And of course, I don't because they take off at a sprint in the last bit anyway. Aren't they amazing? <laughs> so so it just going back a few steps, you, why did you move from New Zealand? Like this is a long, a big oh, um, You just said you flipped the had coin. A love, I've, I've had a love of travel. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'd hitchhiked all over New Zealand many, many times. Um, I'd started... Um, I started working in the workforce at about age 14. Yeah. I said I was 16. Um, so uh, <laughs> mum got me a job um, cutting people's lawns. Mm-hmm. There's saw an advert for picking up three lawns. Um, I cut the lawns, got fired from the first two immediately. First time oh, I've been fired and the last time I've been fired <laughs> in my life. Um, a lovely lady across the road said, John, you're, you're working for other people. Your lawns have to look better than the ones you've got at home. So she went through it and uh, I cut lawns for a long time, charged an absolute fortune. People, yeah. adults used to say, my husband doesn't earn that much per hour. And I'd say, well, tough luck for your husband. Um, that's how much I charge and I had more work than I could poke a stick at. Wow. And I also worked weekends, holidays out at what's the local meat works, which we call freezing works. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So, um, yeah, when I retired from St. John's at the end of last year, that had been 60 years in the workforce paying wow. taxes wow that's amazing so, uh, so you 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 like to travel you decided you flipped a coin like you decided you didn't want to live in new zealand for the time being like because you just wanted to try something yeah. else you're right i always imagine myself going back to new zealand because it's yeah. an amazing country and it still yeah. is um i was actually not really going to australia what i was doing i was going to england the great okay. migration that teachers do um <laughs> go to england to work and uh I had some contacts in Australia and Sydney and a few other places mm-hmm. um, there, but then I met a lady and got married. And, yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, I ended up staying. I worked in a place just outside Shepparton, which unfortunately is in the news with the pandemic a lot at the moment. Yeah, it is. Um, for six years in a lovely mm-hmm. little school, made some great friends there, still mm-hmm. are. Yeah. Um, but uh, I always looked at Tasmania and thought, I think the Tasmanian lifestyle, my interest in the outdoors were better. So um, I came down here and worked out of Burnie at Parklands High School for a long time. Oh, wow. Too long, 13 years. Then went to Hellier College, Deloraine. Yeah. Then called it quits and uh, worked for St. John's Ambulance, or continued to work for St. John's Ambulance. So what did you do with St. John's Ambulance? I was a trainer, mm-hmm. just a first aid trainer. Yeah. Mm. And so that was a part-time position? Yeah, it was casual. It works. Yeah. yeah. I decided to move on from teaching. Um, I didn't hate it or anything. It was just yep. time to move on. Yep, do something um, else. And uh, St. John's had been at me for ages to come and work for them more regularly. So and I liked what I was doing. <clears throat> you know, I don't, well, my grandfather got an MBE for his services to St. John's Ambulance. Oh, wow. On King Island. Yeah. Like, I was like, I'm like I still don't really know what he did. But he must have done. Should really ask so you're a King mom. Island girl. Yes, yeah, so I'm a, I'm a King Island girl. Yeah, so I, that's I've got a good runner country. over there at the moment, haven't they? They do have a good runner over there. I can't take any credit for that whatsoever. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I do have a good runner. <laughs> that's where my running started. <laughs> yeah, at the school over there and around the the coast hills, as we call them, uh, so, which is a lot There's of fun. Not much in the way of hills, is there? Well, not no. the Flinders. No, lots of wind. Definitely not. Um, I spent uh, an Easter on King Island because I had a friend who was a teacher there. And uh, we had a week there. We didn't see a cloud and we didn't see a breath of wind. You did? So I think it's your imagination. 
you were blessed. <laughs> we went we were we went to do sailboarding we couldn't because there's no wind. No. Well you could have got on like we used to have toboggans and go down the coast hills <laughs> on oh, those right. kind of days. You know, when there was no wind, you'd have to do something that didn't require the wind. Anyway, uh, so okay, so you're uh, you came to Tassie and you taught, and yes. now you're in Launceston. You moved up to Launceston. How long how long have you been in Lonnie for? Uh, we I shifted to Launceston in seventy eight. Okay, no, so uh, ninety eight. Sorry. Oh, 98. 98. 98. So still a little um, while. You've been up. Yeah, there. I was I was single again by then. Um, yeah. I'd met this uh, girl in the in the um, canoe club. Yeah. Um, and kept on bumping into her around the place. Uh, it turned out to be Sarah, of course. Um, so yeah, in 98, she was at university finishing a PE degree, Yeah. sorry, School of Human Movement, um, yes. degree. So, uh, we decided there's something in our relationship. So I shifted over here and, uh, we've been here ever since, ever since. got married in 99, 22 years, as you know, now. I do know that. Mm. That's very cool. And we will have, um, Sarah on the podcast in a couple of weeks as well. So yes, I saw that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's going to be fun. So going back to your running a little bit, so do you, is there a period in your life where, you, where once you started running again after um, school and things that you didn't, that you haven't run or you feel like you've always at least run for fitness? Like, so you sounds like after the marathon, there was a bit of a, you know, love-hate relationship for a short time. Um. I, I don't think there'd be, I don't think I could honestly say there has been a year when I didn't run. The distances might, and the times I ran during the week, the number of t- t- runs during the week would have gone up and down. Um, as I said, at university, I got heavily involved in karate. So that took my training up sometimes four or five nights a week. Yeah. Uh, and uh, when I lived in Victoria, the running was oriented more around skiing. In fact, you had what we call um, rollerblades or like rollerblades, except they're long, they're pretend skis so I could skate on them, etc. Wow. So it wasn't really running, but um, that's pretty I, cool. I think I've run, I think you could yeah. safely say I've probably run from 13 and a half up to uh, what am I, 75. 75. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. So I guess asking you a question like, when do you think you, you know, you would first have identified as a runner? What, when would you, what would you say to that question? When did I become identified? Yeah, like when would you have thought I'm a runner? But it sounds to me like probably you just always have been a runner. Like you just haven't, um, but I don't want to put I've that in. i a runner. I think the acknowledgement that we're a runner probably came in school cross countries. Okay. Um, yeah. In the school cross country, the people who tended to win were rugby players who were reasonably fit. Yeah. And then we had this group of five or six people who became, who were serious runners. And I can still remember we having the cross country and uh, the principal getting up and saying, you know, basically talking to the rugby players who had been winning for years. And mm-hmm. uh, we ran the cross country and the rugby players weren't even no. visible. It's a different <laughs> kind a of running. Total new generation. And uh, yeah, the principal wasn't overly impressed with that, actually. He <laughs> just, just didn't acknowledge us. Uh, at all and one of our runners used to win week after week after week the local Waikato Times newspaper every week Morris does it again 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 and yet uh, when we had our Monday assemblies at school 
as a group of runners, we were never, ever acknowledged for, which the community did, uh, for our efforts. Isn't that interesting? It, yeah, it was... Uh, how individuals oh, can make us. those... those um, we sort of, we sort of laughed about it, but I don't yeah. think it really worried us. We're yeah. very focused on what we were doing. Yeah. We're probably nerdy runners. <laughs> and, but you obviously thought of yourself as runners at that point. Oh, yes. And... And from what I can tell, that's been a part of who you are, like who you would describe yourself as. If you had to put down a whole lot of words about who John Fawcett is, you would runner would be one of the ones that would Definitely. be in that description. Hmm. And hopefully for a long, long time yet. Well, that's a, that's another question. There you go. That's a question that I often ask, and that is how long do you think you'll run for? Interesting question, and I do spend time thinking about it. Um, hmm. I've cut back on my distances. Mm -hmm. I've got no choice apparently about the speed I'm running at and that's frustrating me. Yeah. Um, I've got used to the idea that I'm not 40, so I can't run for sub 40 minutes. <laughs> can't even run one hour, 10 kilometers. Um, I did a bush walk with Sarah uh, at the end of last year into the walls of Jerusalem and I did my knee and uh, much to my embarrassment, I had to get a helicopter flight. I didn't out. know that. Um, wow. Well, the newspaper called it a 74-year-old West Launceston man got airlifted out of the world's Jerusalem and just about everyone who knew me in Launceston and interstate said, John, has to be John, 74-year-old oh, no. West Launceston. <laughs> um, so uh, I knew my knees were a bit dodgy. They've both had um, been so looked we, into. Yeah. And uh, so I had MRIs and X-rays in them and... Uh, went off to see a specialist. The knee had came right again, but I went off to see a specialist. And uh, interestingly enough, when I walked in, he sort of looked at me and he said, with your knees, John, he said, most people are on crutches and painkillers. Wow. And he said, you're whinging about not being able to run half marathons. What are you doing here? <laughs> so he pulled them up on the screen and he said, look, to be honest, he said, your knees are a mess. He said, why you can run? He said, I don't know. The textbooks wow. say you can't. Now I knew I've got bone on bone. Yeah. yeah, but he said count. a lot of the cartilage had twisted and torn and all the rest of it. And he said, I just, it's, it's an impossibility for me to run. Yeah. So I said to, uh, I said to him, I said, well, what do you expect me to do? He said, well, I'm not going to do anything. He says, you can run. Don't know why. And he wow. said, you'll be in here eventually for two artificial knees. And I said, and how long have I got? And he said, anywhere between two weeks and 20 years. Well, I passed Whoa. the two weeks and two months. <laughs> and I said, I'll take the 20 years. Um, so, but yeah, it's going to happen probably one day. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'll be lucky. Maybe it'll be the 20 or 30 years, 30. Yeah. Mm, I could be pushing my luck there a bit. Who knows? Right. Who knows? Never say never. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's going to happen and it'll probably happen very quickly. I'll probably be somewhere in a run and the knee will just give way on me. And, and you'll need to go and have, that, have it looked it. at. That won't mean you have to stop running. Surely I know people who are running on having a hip replacement. I was talking to one of them yesterday. There you go. <laughs> Runs and park run. Um, has he got I two? I won't mention names on a podcast. <laughs> uh, I think I know who you're talking he's, about. He's complaining. He complained to me yesterday. He can't. He takes 30 minutes to run 5K now. <laughs> he had his done a while ago, I think. If, if it's the same person. <laughs> if he, he had his done quite a, a while ago, if the same yes, person. A hip replacement, yeah. Tall yeah. and thin. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think we might be talking about the same person. <laughs> 
Jeanette talking. Um, there's a, I interviewed Betty too on this podcast and she's older than you. She's 78 and she said two hip replacements. And I'm pretty sure she said she said at least one knee surgery and she's still running. So, so yeah, even with some of those get things. on the net, there's an American who had his knees, both knees replaced something like 20 years ago mm-hmm. and um, apparently is still running on them. There you go. Um, some f- doctors say it's a no-no. Specialists yeah. say it's a no, 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 no. Physios very often say there is no technical reason why you can't run on artificial, not in this day and age. So this, I think I've Betty's advice. And they said, okay, you're not going to set world records. But it's okay. But, you're still moving, and that's probably better for you in the long run. Well, the specialist reasons. said, yeah, the specialist said, why my knees are okay. Two things. He said, one, I've run all my life and never really stopped. So everything's very polished and moving. Yeah. The sec- second thing is I work out in gyms. Yeah. And which most runners don't and they yeah. should. I'll do a like that. Because mm-hmm. um, most runners confuse stamina and strength as the same thing where they're mm-hmm. not. You can have an enormous amount of stamina, but mm-hmm. your muscle strength mightn't be very good. I mm-hmm. work out in weights, push heavy weights, and he said, so the muscles are supporting my knee. Excellent. So when you're at the gym, what kind of tips would you give people who are middle-aged runners and older? What kind of things should they do at the gym? Or can they do some of those things at home as well? Um, just rough basically if you want strong bones and strong joints Mm -hmm. you need to push big weights yeah Um, so pushing a light weight is not is going to give you light muscles okay Um, it's like uh, it's like ladies who decide to go to the gym in their late 40s and early 50s for the usual reason and at one stage they said just push weights well the the theory is now you don't just say push five kilogram weights if you can push a 50 15 kilogram weight you're a lot better off doing fewer repetitions but mm-hmm. pushing a heavy weight okay um, it comes back if you don't use it you lose, lose it, it. You'll that lose doesn't it. include just the muscles that includes your bones and everything else yeah yeah so um yeah i'd i'd encourage uh, runners they should be getting into the gym mm. and doing their squats and all the rest of it and do some upper body work because you do use your upper body when you run mm-hmm. um yeah but um when I grew up running, if I said go to a gym, the coach would say, oh, wasting your time, stretching, wasting your time. <laughs> totally, I know that. Um, it, it reminded me, uh, one thing Betty said about the surgeon um, who has fixed her up a few times <laughs> is that finding those professionals who also run or have an appreciation for it, then you don't get so many no's, you know, <laughs> you know like I'm not fixing your hippie food and go and run on it. Um, so you get those who work with you rather than, than working against you. Anyway, I <laughs> thought that was kind mm. of interesting advice. You just have to find those that do have that in their background. The, I think the trouble with doing things at home, mm. oh, yeah? and I've tried this, is mm-hmm. you quickly find excuses to do other things. Yeah. And then it's oh, it's a bit too late to go down. If you join a gym, you've paid money. Yeah. And you go down, but there's also because you're at the gym and other people are doing, and you get to know people, is you start supporting each other. A bit more of a um, a reason to get out the door and to to go there. Yeah. And like, if you pick the right gyms, and uh, Sarah and I think we've got the right gym, so yeah, uh, really good and supportive. And it works for you. Yeah, and that works for me. So one of the questions I ask people quite a lot is, how do you get out the door on those days where it's not so good? And I guess that also includes how do you get to the gym. <laughs> days but also how do you go running when it's you know the weather is pretty wild um or you just don't feel like it you know there's just days where we're like i just don't want to go today how do you make yourself get out um, i mean 
certainly in the times when I was more competitive and younger, you ran regardless. Yeah. So that goal yeah, was no the, difference. the thing. I'm yeah, 75 no, and I'm getting mean. soft. Yeah. <laughs> so there's no question. Um, LRC, uh, the ones we've missed this year have been because the weather's been awful. Okay. So we, ha <laughs> we haven't gone. We just think there's no need for this. Um, <laughs> we do have a treadmill at home. Treadmills are incredibly boring. Yeah. But you can knock out three or four K on it and we mix it up with intervals on it and this sort of thing. And um, the other thing, like so many people have gone, we've got a bike set up under the house. So we're on mm -hmm. Swift. Yeah. And in fact, after this interview, I'll go down and probably do 30 kilometres or something, 25, 30 kilometres yeah. there. So when the weather's bad, it's cold, wet, and you just think it's dangerous out there, you can jump on something inside. So, yeah, there's lots of ways you can mm. do your training and exercise now. Ultimately, That's... ultimately being outside is your yeah. best way, but there are alternatives. And, uh, you know, you come home and think, weather looks crap, you've had an awful day, I yeah. don't really feel like doing it. It's easy to get changed and go under the house and do 20 minutes cycling. Yeah. Where getting changed and going for a 20 minute run, you think, ah, oh, it's not worth it. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. That's so true. Um, you do seem like that you're very driven, though, because there would still be people who would be, I don't know, um, especially the stuff at home, like you said before, like the cycling and things like that. It's like that actual moving most days. So would you say there's most days you do something, whether it's a gym or cycling or go for a run, um, do you find, a, is it most days? And I guess it, you do know that there are people in the world, John, that don't, <laughs> that don't do something every day. Yes, I would say pretty well every day. And as I said, I retired at the beginning of November last year. Mm -hmm. um, suddenly decided work wasn't interesting anymore. It wasn't mm. fun. Mm. Um, so, yeah, in fact, I just went to the office uh, and said, I've made a decision. They looked at me and said, because we had an, where I worked, we had an amazing office staff, one of the best I've ever worked with. Yeah. And they just said, yeah, you're retiring. And I said, I've only just decided that then. How do you know? And they said, we've got a book on it. <laughs> we've been waiting for because they could see I was getting less happy with what I was doing. Yeah. Um, now that I'm retired, I would, wouldn't be many days that I don't do at least two lots of exercise. Mm. So for example, this morning I started off going for um, about a six kilometer or seven kilometer bush, uh, not bush walk, walk. Yeah. So I do that just in the morning that loosens me up. Yeah. Uh, then usually about 11 o'clock, I go down to the gym for about 40 minutes. I'm not a person in the gym for a long time. I go into this very straight focus, do certain yeah. exercises, get out. Mm -hmm. um, and then later in the day, well, last night I was out with running buddies. Mm -hmm. um, today I'll jump on the bike. Um, so, yeah, at the moment now I'm retired. Yeah, I like exercise. See, you're very motivated and I think that's amazing. What is it? Could be. Well, some people say very boring. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Uh, what is it? If you're not sitting in front of the telly, you know, watching daytime soaps and, and all the news popping up and, you know, you're not, you're uh, out there living your best life, really. You're out there enjoying it. Is there anything on body. telly other than ABC? Uh, well, actually, I'm, I'm a bit like that on the radio. <laughs> don't watch that much telly. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's just that kind of moving thing. So what's going on in your mind when you're say out there going out for a run, do you run much by yourself now or do you run mostly with other people? Um, 
good question. I think most of my runs would be with other people. I probably only go for a run by myself maybe once a week. Okay. But on Tuesday, I run with running buddies on mm -hmm. our Tuesday night one. Thursdays, I go down to City Park and then later up into Trevallon and run with Old Train. Mm -hmm. Then on Saturdays, LRC and Park Run. Uh-huh. In fact, well, I can credit Park Run with really getting back into my uh, modern sense of running, actually. Yeah. Um, that then went on to Running Buddies. And then this year, awesome group of people, you might know them, called LRC. <laughs> I've um, heard of them. <laughs> you heard of them? Yeah, had yeah. this slightly way out there, blondish director or whatever she was. <laughs> She's totally out there. <laughs> Encouraging everybody. Um, yeah, so, well, that's, yeah, three groups of people yeah. um, so, so yeah saturday thursday and and that's most of my running i, I try not to run more than three or four times yeah. a week yeah got to look after those joints <laughs> i do especially now you've been given a you know two weeks to 20 years <laughs> kind of <laughs> kind of number <laughs> so uh but what do you what do you think about in your exercise it's probably just as relevant um a kind of question it's not just when you're running but when you're, say, on the bike or if you're in the gym pushing some weights or you're on your walk, what kind of things are going through your mind? You don't have to give us the, the detail. But, you know, are you thinking about your shopping list? What, you know, um, anything that's stressing you at the moment? Are you thinking about, um, you know, just the environment that you're in? You know, what, what sort of stuff do you... Yeah, I, I knew this question with? was going to come up. Um, I tend to switch off. Mm -hmm. So I don't really think of anything. I don't listen to music when yeah. I'm running at all. Um, well, when I started running, you couldn't listen to music because, believe it or not, uh, they hadn't been invented yet. You know, it's like fancy watches. My first fancy watch was uh, was an hourglass to fit on my... Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> um, then I can remember mum buying me a watch that had a sweep second hand on it. What? That's Now, crazy. I don't even know all the functions my present watch does. No, I'm a bit like but, that, don't uh, so, yeah, I tend not, if it's a trail run I'm doing, I focus very heavily on what I'm doing. Yeah. Otherwise, I go splat. Yeah. Um, because I've done most of my running on roads, I've got a very low swing with my leg. Yeah. That's so sort of not good when you're trail No, running. there's roots and rocks and so all sorts of other things. trail runs are fairly slow. It's the intention of getting around without mm -hmm. um, doing a face plant. If I'm running with groups of people, um, yeah, I've usually got someone to chat with or something yeah. like that. Uh, that's if I'm not too far at the back. Um, so when you're on the trails, do you think a little um, about the environment? I know that you're being very careful about where your feet are going, but are you, you know, looking around the environment and, and taking in the view if there's a view or do you find yourself doing that a little? No, not a great deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, not a great deal. Um you know, I would, probably more so if I'm bushwalking. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, no, running, you know, like that, fairly focused. If it's on the open road, then, uh, yeah, mine switches off. So um, certainly when I was doing longer distances, sometimes you'd go for a run and you suddenly think, hang on, I think I've just gone past the 10K mark and I've got to How turn and go you? back. <laughs> um, I'll give you a bit of a story. When that little group of people at high school, we went for a run uh, one Sunday as usual. Mm -hmm. And uh, we headed off out out of Hamilton, heading south. I think it must be out to a place called Cambridge or something. And mm -hmm. We were just chatting away, having our long, slow distance run. 
And we ran through this little town and kept running a bit. And then all of a sudden we stopped and we said, was that Cambridge? Yes. Oh, shit, we were supposed to turn around miles ago. Oh. And we thought, we've run about 20-odd kilometres oh, <laughs> from no. home. So down to the phone, Mum, uh, can you pick us up? Where are you? Oh, <laughs> you know, so many kilometres or miles back then south of Cambridge. What are you doing down there? Well, we forgot to turn around. <laughs> just kept going. <laughs> so so we turned around and ran back until Mum sort of met us and picked us up and... I don't know how far we would have run, you know, probably 25, 30 kilometres that day. Um, whoops. <laughs> yeah, whoops. <laughs> did good thing for our weekly average, though. <laughs> oh, I bet it did. Mind you, there was no Strava in those days, so. No, we all kept a little logbook, though. Yes, yeah. actually, I did that. You know, I have been running for long enough that we didn't have smartwatches or Strava or those kind of things. And I think when we first, if I ever wanted to listen to anything, which seemed a novelty, I can remember taking like a Walkman, you know, like an, a cassette player and it was just awkward. And it, um, it just, it skipped a few, I could just remember it didn't really work that well because of the motion of the running, they hadn't really perfected the technology. So we're, we do it, live in a different world now, don't we? It's interesting how technology's come in. If you'd gone down to a run five years ago and addressed people and said, in five years hence, most of you will be wearing a watch on your wrist worth something like $1,000. You would have been laughed at. No way. And yet you see everyone standing there, fingers on a watch, which is somewhere between $600 and $1,000 or more in many cases. Crazy. And uh, you think, God, there's tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of watches hanging on people's wrists these days. I know. Many years ago, um, I wrote a book called Run Forever in 2004. And at the time... Um, I thought, oh, I'll do all these other things at the running community and, you know, I create things and stuff. But actually, runners didn't spend much money on anything but shoes back then. Uh, but now it's all changed. I think, um, you know, us runners are way more prepared to spend money on gadgets and, and things uh, to support our running. So it's an interesting but um, Even change. shoes. I mean, think of how many shoes you go. They've, they've improved I mean, when I started running, there was no such thing as a pair of running shoes. You had Dunlop volleys. I was going to say Dunlop volleys. They've been mentioned yeah, on this podcast. We used to go along to whatever the equivalent of Kmart was in, in New Zealand, and the coaches would get you to um, buy a glue-on heel. Yeah, <laughs> really? So you to give you a bit more support when you uh, landed on your heels when you're running. Wow. And I can still remember the first real running shoe I got. It was a very bright um greenish adidas and i saw it in a shop window um, yeah. and uh it had some ridiculous price on probably like 40 dollars <laughs> back then and uh i went and have a look at it and i said to the bloke i said it's a bit gimmicky you know fancy colors bloody expensive ridiculous so he had a chat to me a little bit about my running and he said okay got a pair of shoes size map put them on he said go for a run and I said, what do you mean? He said, go for a run. Come back in an hour's time or whenever you feel like it. And I said, you're not asking for money? And he said, no, you'll be back. And he says, you'll be buying them. Yeah. I said, oh, yeah, I'll see. Well, within 100 metres, I thought, oh, wow, these are awesome. So <laughs> when I got back, you know, I said, I'm going to buy. I said, I'll buy them. He says, all right. He said, I've made the docket out and everything already. He said, I knew oh. you were going to buy them. <laughs> well, and that was but, your long um, history of buying running shoes, John. It started yes, I had to, and I tend to still run them longer than I really should. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, 
That's, have you got Scottish blood in you? Like a lot of people from New Zealand have Scottish heritage. <laughs> um, there is Scottish which, blood there. <laughs> which is the yes, uh, looking after the money. Dunedin, <laughs> if, if you ever go down to Dunedin, they roll their R's and uh, use quite a few Scottish words. They don't have a shack. They've got a little crib or a croft. Oh, that's really cute. I'll have to do that. Yeah. I, I've got Scottish heritage also, so um, I should go in. <laughs> and I love that Scottish accent. It's really cool. Um, I wanted to ask you, it's, it's a hard question for you in that, not hard, but it, it makes you suspend your belief of where you are now and what, what your life has been. But can you imagine if you hadn't had running in your life, what you would have missed out on. So I guess the question is, how do you think running has improved your life? But it's kind of because you've had running in your life pretty much the whole time. Um, it's kind of, you've got to suspend that, uh, you know, the, the knowledge that running has, or has been in your life all this time. What is the biggest thing you think running's given your life, I guess, and improved your life? Um, interesting question. If I hadn't had running in my life, there would have been something else, physical, mm -hmm. that I would have done anyway. Uh, and as I said, I was heavily involved in karate and bushwalking and this sort of thing. Yeah. So there's always been something there, kayaking mm. at various stages. Um, yeah, I don't know. Honest, mm. I honestly don't know. Do you find um, the, the ability to just get out the door with running as opposed to, to lots of others? Maybe. There's a degree of freedom and mm. independence mm -hmm. in it. And one, that's one of the good things about running. If you travel anywhere, all you need is yeah. a pair of shorts, a singlet and your shoes. And, you know, I've run, you know, New Zealand and Australia and just about anywhere. A couple of years before pandemic, we went, we were in Japan skiing, but we still went for a run along some of the rivers in the cities, um, wow. along with some of the Japanese there. So you've got, you've got that sense of freedom. Um, yeah. We didn't have a park run in 2017. We were overseas, so we did. We created own own one in the middle of Central Park in uh, New York. Cool. Uh, so, yeah, it's quite amazing. And I think it's that freedom of being able to do things easily. It's you're not relying on a lot of. Even though we've talked about the technology, yeah, it it's small. You it's know, a pair it's of a shoes, watch. really. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe a watch if you want to make sure it goes on Strava. <laughs> yes, and you've got it charged. <laughs> yeah, all those technical things. Um, what would be your favorite run? If you think back all the runs you've done, it doesn't even have to be an organized one. It could be a training run. It could have been a race. It could have been, what do you think? If yeah, you think I, I've thought about that quite a bit, uh, recently. And I think the one that I'm most proud of, despite the fact I used to be a run, you know, four minutes, uh, 30, four minutes, 40 miles, which 1.6 kilometers and, um, you know, my uh, um, 10 kilometers sub 40s, but I think it was the marathon. Yeah, it have to be that. That was a huge effort, and I don't think it really occurred to me just how big an effort it was until I started running here in Launceston, and people mm. started talking and asked what I'd done. And yeah. when I say what I ran the marathon, and you can see their eyes pop open, um, and it's sort of dawned on me here with the people I'm running with that. Uh, yeah, that, that was probably, I've always knew it was good, but they seemed to make me think it was even really, was really, really good. good. <laughs> yeah. It is. It was really awesome. That is so good. Um, 
so you, there's a sort of pride over that too there isn't there that you set that massive goal and definitely you know, just the effort involved in getting yeah. there um uh, lots of people run marathons and i think it's it's awesome when they run marathons um but uh certainly from my point of view to do a sub three hour marathon and people tell mm. me that's a pretty good effort it is um yeah it's something special it's a pretty good effort if you're in your 20s or 30s <laughs> let alone <laughs> let in your 40s, 40s. <laughs> it's amazing um so is there anything that you would like to share about running that we haven't touched on so far today with the present strength running i think the really important thing is um you go out and enjoy it mm. If you're not enjoying it, you're in trouble to start with. Mm -hmm. And um, as I've said before, and you've heard me say it at the uh, when um, uh, Joe made that lovely cake for me for my birthday, yeah. is Launceston, I would have to say, is the um, running community here, is the greatest running community I've ever had anywhere in my life. No one comes, no organisation has ever come close to it. Oh. Um, just the way everyone supports each other. Park Run, I believe, is a brilliant concept. Yes, mm. I see it's grown through the world. And I love volunteering. I've already, even with LRC, um, I think I was volunteering about my third run. You totally were. Yeah, I've done about four or five volunteers. Park Run, lots. I don't know, lots of volunteers. <laughs> and just little things like um, I remember someone coming across the finishing line in Park Run and he's yahooing and carrying on. And uh, I said, you've got a PB. And he said, oh, PB blow that and he said I've been working to be able to run five kilometers without stopping and said this is the first time I've done it oh. and the thrill I get out of that is he got and then he said now I'll start thinking of PBs but just that effort of suddenly hey I can run 5k yeah and I think just the support that you get the um, people going on I'll give you one other example I was at a run somewhere um, I think it was down Hobart and um, there were a group of people cheering people on that got on your mate and all the rest of it and uh, somebody, somebody else looked and said, I bet they're all park runners. <laughs> and I thought, you can't get much better compliment Aww. than they were. Um, there. But the LRC is exactly, I mean, encouragement to get it off. I got the biggest cheer ever when I came over last at, uh, <laughs> at um, uh, Black, Blackstone Heights. I was a long way last, mind you. Um, but, yeah, I mean, even the, the encouragement I get on that, it's, mm. it's awesome. Running buddies, of course. I wonder if um, it's just all the endorphins going off in our brain, us runners, that we tend to be more encouraging. But um, I think the community that has developed here in the last sort of five or six years is pretty special. I probably kicked off with park runs, you know, and introducing running to more and more people. And then, you know, as you know, with buddies has, has expanded from the small group it began many, many years ago. And, and then, of course, the running club, has been, um, you know, yeah, around the edges of it. I think all of that has come together really nicely now and created. And I will mention names, but Amy and Jono with um, yeah, Old Train. Yeah. They're, you know, they're incredibly supportive of, uh, you know, we sort of joke that when they're doing some of their intervals tomorrow night there, Amy might uh, actually say, well, you can take a shorter one if you want to, John. She knows darn well in most cases I'm not going to. Um, I'm going to struggle <laughs> around the longer ones, won't run quite as far, but. Yeah, because uh, not as fast, but yeah, they're very encouraging as well. It's 
to some extent, it's the same people across all four activities, which they is were. Jono and Amy were instrumental in a lot of stuff in the running club as well a couple of years ago. So they've and they've been in and out of the running club for many, many years too. So mm. and been on the committee and, and done lots of things. So as you said, it is a lot of the same people are circulating through all of those different communities. Um, some of them across all of them, like literally at the same time, <laughs> whereas um, other people just in, a, in and out. So, but that is lovely. I think. Um, I wonder whether other parts of the world where there's parkrun now, which is, as you know, lots of places, uh, if they're finding similar things are happening, yeah, that that's kicked off. I would think so. Um, according to um, uh, Christine Timms, who comes out with the statistics, mm. um, there's more and more parkruns. There's something like 17 in the state alone now. It's amazing. Um, and there's uh, literally millions of runners. But when they look at the statistics each year for parkrun, they're finding that the average age of park runners is increasing mm. and the times they're doing 5Ks is decreasing. Ah. <laughs> so people, older people are getting in, but it's getting slower. That's interesting. And I think that's what park runs should be about. Yeah. Just people well, out okay, there. We have our elite going. runners, like I forget the name of one of them who goes around in 14 minutes, something or other. Um, but then we've got the people who just walk in a social event, and I think they're all equally yeah. equally valid. They're all out there doing it and staying healthier, mm. I think. And you've got Which... these tiny little kids who I can't understand. They can absolutely thrash me. They tend to be yo-yos too, don't they? They race past you, and then they stop. Then you catch up to them, and then they race past you again. <laughs> yeah, and when they you get to the finishing line, they're ahead of you. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, because they just passed you on the just before because they could see the finishing line. Um, okay, John, do you have, or I'm sure you have, I would like from you at least one tip for somebody who says, John, I want to start running. How do I start and keep running so it doesn't just become like a one-hit wonder? What would you suggest to them? Um, yes, that question comes up quite frequently. Um mm -hmm. Don't be afraid of starting with a walk. Yeah. And uh, it's one thing I like about uh, people like Jono and Amy who are into trail running. They say walking is a big part of trail running. It is not copping out, which a lot of people think it is. Yeah. Um, you've just got to walk some of it and it's part mm -hmm. of it. So, um, yeah, look, just start with something easy. Don't be overly ambitious. Um, go for a walk, look at power poles and say, oh, I can jog to that one. Then start linking power poles together. If you can run with... Um, a friend is going to be, I'm the sort of person who can go and do it by myself. Yeah. But if you find running with a friend um, is helps, then go out with a friend, mm -hmm. um, have an, have an aim and uh, try and not find excuses not to do it. And that's the hard one. Yeah. I feel tired tonight. Okay. Get out there and do it because in most cases you think, oh God, I can't do it. I can't go out and do my three kilometers tonight. But once you get going, it's you okay. know, you, you yeah. can do the three kilometers. You always feel better afterwards, anyway. Totally, um, always feel better afterwards. But uh, it's it's very easy to find excuses not to, and that doesn't just go for running. It goes whether you're running or smoking or a yeah. variety of other things. Um, That's true. Yeah, I think um, it's that easy. Mm. enjoy Launceston as I said if you want to start in Launceston come down to park run introduce yourself um, and you you know it's, it's a good start so many runners have started in park run it's amazing 
Yeah, and they're all over the world now, as we said. Obviously, it started in the UK anyway. So didn't yeah, start well, here. I think I think um, where they started, they have twelve hundred runners really? every Saturday. Wow! They all got they um, they all go into shoots at the end. No. I can imagine the elite runners have finished before you even get to start the start line. Yeah, they would have to. Yes, like even start in waves or something. I don't know. That's amazing. I don't know how they do the stuff. Talk to one or two of travelled, mm. and of course you. Everyone wants to go to Bushy Park, where it's all started. I have done two in, in London, in the UK, but not that one. <laughs> and they were sort of more on the size of um, of our ones here. So mm. they were fun, though. <laughs> it was mm. that um, park run tourism is quite a thing, isn't it? Uh, yeah, some well, people, it's important it to them. Um, <laughs> not such a I've, uh, we're not really into that. I've only done one park run down in Hobart. Um, oh, have you? So, but I mean, I know there's people with the new park run, they'll go there. I've done yeah. all the ones in the north now, having done Flinders the other weekend. Yes. Um, but no, I don't feel any strong desire. Yeah. In fact, Sarah and I very rarely go to, sometimes we've had a couple of years when we haven't even been to Hobart. Um, wow. Before that thing called COVID-19, we'd rather go to Melbourne for a, yeah. a weekend than, than Hobart. It's almost as... Um... Well, by the time you you just go drive out to the airport, get on the plane, you're in Melbourne, and it's it's almost the same amount of time as <laughs> driving yeah, to home. Yeah, yeah. So that's pretty interesting. So, All right. Um, yeah, COVID nineteen has sort of killed our travel. It has. It's done that to all of us. It's been a little bit annoying. <laughs> yeah. But well, it, we've got it won't got be an RV sitting out the front of the place there. We'll be living in that next year. Yes. Actually, a quick question about that. How are you planning to keep up your exercise regimes while you're on the road? Well, the running is no problem. Yeah. So how will you do Will you uh, like to park? I'm just trying to, I'm kind of a, exactly how will you do that? <laughs> you know, will one of you throw the other one out and pick you up down the road or will you? run together like will you park and and then just run wherever you're setting up for that day or that, that yeah week? we'll pretty well do everything together um yeah so yeah we'll pull up a, either a, um, a free site or let's be honest 90 percent of the time be in a, a caravan park yeah and um yeah we'll, we'll get up in the morning and go for a run or a bike ride we're carrying yeah. um four bikes in the back of our rv we've got two mountain bikes and two road bikes <laughs> like why do you need four bikes? oh yeah <laughs> We carry all the toys. <laughs> um, awesome. So uh, we'll do that. Obviously, the gym work is not there. I'll probably try and start off using body weight exercises, but I know what will happen there. It'll fizzle out. And yeah. It always does in the past. But you'll try. And, uh, <laughs> it just doesn't become regular. But the running and cycling, yeah, that'll be pretty regular and fairly easy to do. So um, I assume then you're planning not to travel every day or – you, that you oh, no. like have a day of travel and then have five days wherever you are or seven, whatever the number is. It could be. Sarah and I have never had the uh, travel bug that you have to see everything. Yeah. Uh, we always say we, we have a lot of next time. Uh, yeah, places. okay. So we cycled, we spent three and a half months cycling around France and oh, just living in our bushwalking tent, et cetera, um, which was amazing. Um, it's a great way of seeing a place on a bike. Yeah. But... Uh, yeah, we'd have people sort of say, oh, you can do this, 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 this in one day. It's only 150 kilometres. And we seldom rode over more than 80 kilometres in a day. Uh -huh. And uh, we thought, well, why? Sometimes we wake up in a little French quaint village. We wake up in the morning, be a nice sunny day. And we'd say, no, I don't think we'll ride. I think we'll just go and have a few beers and coffees <laughs> with the locals. 
a big it. And, yeah, I mean, yeah, so we didn't see all of France in three and a half months. We probably could have, but wow. next time, if there it's, is one. And so you, you're planning a similar sort of thing with your, is it a year you're going away for? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, Sarah's working, does one of these three over four schemes, which you probably know about. No, what does that mean? <laughs> ah, <laughs> you are an ex-ex-teacher. Um, it means Sarah's yeah. worked the last three years full-time on three quarters of a salary. Oh, no, I didn't. So I the government has been banking a quarter of a salary, which means next year when she has it off, she's going to still get three quarters of a salary because it's been banked. And this is the third time we've done it. Wow. That's the first awesome. time we did it when we went to France, etc. The second time we did it was um, an around Australia trip. And yeah. the third time was supposed to be going to Alaska yeah. um, and doing some exploring in Alaska and then going to Europe and doing some bike touring. But uh, COVID-19 has buggered that one up. Put the mockers on that. Yeah, so um, don't ask us what our plans are in Australia. It's, yeah, everything's far too open-ended and flexible, isn't it? You've, so it's planning um, like it's about a year, though. That's what you're thinking. Yeah, we yeah, we'll, we're leaving in December. We'll get back in December. Okay, mm. oh, it's very exciting. We're planning to go for you know three months or so in the middle of the year next year. Simon and I Me also, too. Australia as well. Like we've done a little bit of Australia. We want to do a little bit more um with a caravan uh and a couple of the other people from running club are also planning that that i know so <laughs> we might all yes we've got a few people sort of saying we're going to make some uh contacts from uh well some of them running club and running buddies same people yeah um so yeah it'd be interesting to see if we do make a, a connection yeah it's a big country yeah. i know but <laughs> pardon it's a big country but you never know like, there's a few of us out there well it's a big country and I've lived in some isolated areas. Sarah and I lived for two years in an Aboriginal community to oh, wow. 130 kilometres west of Alice Springs. Gosh. Um, and most Australians really just, to be honest, didn't even know where Alice Springs was. <laughs> we'd, did... we'd, get, we'd get phone calls sometimes. And uh, I remember one um, sort of a business one and the person said, oh, we don't have an office in uh, Alice Springs. And I said, no, I don't expect. And they said, well, could you duck up to Darwin to do this bit of paperwork? And I said, well, I suppose we could. It's only one and a half thousand kilometres. Oh, <laughs> yeah, about a day and a half driving. They said, well, what about Adelaide? And I said, well, that's another one and a half thousand kilometres in the yeah, other direction. Right. And oh. before you ask about going east and west, that's 2,000 kilometres each way, but there's no roads. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that idea of really where it is, is lacking with some. <laughs> yeah. Or people will look at the map and see all these little dots of towns yeah, yeah. through the centre and they say, oh, we can do something there, something there. And I'd mm. say, do you realise how far those dots are apart? Oh, mm. what are they? I said, oh, about 250 kilometres apart. And what's there? A service station and a bit of a motel. <laughs> Anything else? No. What's Nothing. in between? Nothing. <laughs> and not only overseas people, but Australians, the concept yeah. of nothing. Yeah, it's very, it's very it's hard very... to. We did hey, do. I don't know. Have you been up through the centre? No, that's where we need to go. We've been um, right around through the Nullarbor, up to Broome, across to Darwin, um, and right you've up. Done, you've done Kakadu and Litchfield and... Well, a little bit, but not enough. So we do need to do more of those. And Litchfield's um, magic. And the middle, yeah. 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 That's, that's the one that's near Darwin, isn't it? Litch, yes. Yeah, so we did do some like, hang out in the creeks and things there. There was some nice 
um, places to swim <laughs> when uh, we were there a few no, years ago. That's okay. Edith Falls, a bit further down the road, it's lovely. Mm. Mm. Oh, anyway, I'm looking forward to it. Can we go now? <laughs> Especially when it gets colder here again next year, that'll be fantastic for us to go do that. Um, all right. <laughs> the funny, I was just thinking there are so many other things that you've just mentioned, but they're not necessarily about running. But I was thinking <laughs> leading up to this call, you were thinking you had nothing to talk about. And I was thinking there's all these other things we could talk about based on some things you just said. But we won't. I've already used enough of your time. And I do appreciate that you have shared some of your running journey with us. It's been very inspirational and inspiring, no matter what you thought it would be. Um, I have enjoyed it and I've learned lots more about you as well. Plus, I could see, you know, you just mentioned that you were li you've lived in an Aboriginal community. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's another whole thing, but we can do that another day because <laughs> that's really interesting as well. Talk so. to Sarah about that then. Oh, yeah, that's true. I can put that on my Sarah list <laughs> of things to talk about. So big thank you, John. Really do appreciate your time. So thank you for being here and having a chat with us. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Time has uh, an hour and a quarter disappeared quite easily. Just goes like that, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> You're all about, we won't have enough things to talk about, but not so. Yeah. And um, uh, you enjoy your retirement from being... Uh, captain of the LRC. I will. I'll get a bit more time back to do some things instead of communicating to the club all the time. <laughs> all right. Um, stay on because I'll have a, a chat with you off the recording. But okay. um, again, thank you very much. Okay. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Fit Mind Fit Body podcast. I'd love to talk to you about your running journey. So send me a message on Facebook or on the website and let's do it. For a bunch of resources on mindful running that will help you get and stay mentally and physically fit, head over to the website fitmindfitbody.co and I'll see you there. Plus, I'll be back here in your podcast player a few times a week. Hit subscribe now so that you don't miss an episode. And before you go, I'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a review. It'll help more people to find the podcast and get inspired to start running. I'll see you soon. Bye.